Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Today's topic is one I've had numerous requests for, and in this episode, I'm going to provide my review of the fairly new Luminar post-processing software from MacFun, and I'm going to compare it to Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop. Let's get started by saying I applaud MacFun for this new Luminar product. Competition in this space is so important and really good for us as photographers. Both the pricing of the software and functionality of the software will be better overall for us as consumers when there's more than one dominant player in the market. And far from being perfect, and there are more and more developers switching to other products all the time, but Adobe's products are still the leader in the market by quite a margin. So good on you, MacFun. I am cheering for you as a company because we desperately need the competition and keep the fire on Adobe. The Luminar software was first released in November 2016, which means it's a little over three months old as I'm recording this episode here in February 2017. I don't know exactly how long they've been working on the software, but it's no doubt far less time than Adobe's been working on Lightroom, which just this week hit the 10-year anniversary mark. It astounds me as a developer to think how much progress MacFun has made so quickly. Although they did get a bit of a running start working with Trey Ratcliffe on their other product, Aurora HDR, which kind of competes more directly with Photomatix than anything else. So MacFun looks to me like a very promising software company who I expect to be a player for some time unless a bigger company manages to buy them up. Seems to be a very common thing these days. A littler company that innovates and really wows somebody with some kind of a product gets bought up by a bigger company who wants to stay relevant, wants to get the talent. And I could see MacFun being an acquisition target for someone big really easily based on what they're producing. Let's dive into just a little bit of the technical information about the software. So first off, it's Mac only, which is a bit of a bummer to me right from the start. Now, if you've been listening to Photo Taco and Improved Photography podcast for a while, you know that I love the Mac platform and I believe it currently offers the best mobile photo editing experience today as I record here in February 2017 in the 2015 MacBook Pro. Now, I haven't had hands-on experience yet with the 2016 MacBook Pro, but the reviews I've read, the news I've heard, makes me think Apple has just a little bit of work to do there before that's ready to be relied upon for photography. Anyway, not an episode about Mac versus PC here. The point is, I use a Mac every single day, and I really enjoy doing photo editing on the platform. But as an IT pro and a hobbyist photographer with limited budgets for my photography, Windows is my platform of choice for my serious photo editing. So it's something of a disappointment to me when software is made for Mac only and not Windows. I understand why it is. I get that they're they're just starting out and maybe they have plans to expand beyond it. Although the name MacFun, it's spelled M-A-C-P-H-U-N, that doesn't really lend itself towards building Windows software. And we'll see where it heads. But uh, yeah, I wish it was open for Windows. I think not only because uh, I think a lot of photographers who use Windows would like it, it just kind of mark, uh, it puts a, a ceiling and a cap on the market for their product, which is a pretty compelling product. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But right off the bat, it's Mac only. And so if you do editing on Windows, you can listen to the review, but you're not going to be able to run the software. 
Okay, so now the hardware requirements for running MacFun. They uh, they say that the minimum hardware requirements are a 2009 or newer Mac with four gigabytes of RAM and macOS Yosemite and a display resolution of 1280 by 800. So basically all those nats, uh, those uh, stats and numbers, what it means is you can run Luminar on a 2009 Mac or newer. Pretty much everything that, that Apple has produced since 2009, you'll be able to do it as long as you have four gig of RAM, because you could configure some computers with less than four gig of RAM back then. So you'd have to have that, and you would have had to have been updating your Mac all along the way, because you need Yosemite for running Luminar at a minimum. All right, so that's the minimum hardware, but like any company, that's minimum means it it'll run, <laughs> but maybe not well. And so they also have performance recommendations for hardware, and that is a 2012 or newer Mac with eight gigabytes of RAM, the latest Sierra version of macOS, and an SSD drive. So uh, like anything, this is not out of the ordinary. This is not. Uh, strange kinds of requirements for Mac fun uh, Luminar software here. This is pretty normal. Your experience across any post-processing software is going to be significantly better on a 2012 or newer Mac with 8 gig of RAM and an SSD drive than you'll get on that 2009 Mac. And a lot less hardware is there in those, those older Macs. So not really surprising. Just wanted to relay the information there. All right, before I get into my thoughts on how Luminar compares with Lightroom, I need to take a moment to thank the sponsor for this episode, which is ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com. If, as I go through the comparison of Luminar to Lightroom, you don't really understand what it is I'm comparing, you certainly can ask questions through our Facebook group. I'd really encourage you to. Or email and Twitter and Instagram. I, I go through all of those things. We have links to all of the ways to contact the show. But you can take your things into your own hands and really accelerate your learning about photography with a subscription to improvephotographyplus.com. You get immediate access to everything Improve Photography has ever produced over the years, which includes video training courses, lots of them, presets, lots of those too, and access to many of the hosts of the podcast of the Improve Photography Network. Now, I've heard from many PhotoTalk listeners that their subscription was something that really changed their photography for them. It's only $19.95 a month to subscribe. You can cancel at any time, and you can start your free trial today by heading over to improvephotographyplus.com. I want to thank Jim and improvephotographyplus.com for making this episode possible. Okay, I have 10 observations that I want to make. It's not necessarily pros and cons, good and bad. It's 10 observations as I have used the... Luminar software from MacFun over the last two months and put hundreds of photos through the software. The first thing I want to start off with, the first observation is a non-live histogram in Luminar. Now, as I talk about the histogram here, I imagine there's a fair number of you listening that may not really know how to use one or what it means for photo editing. And you may be thinking that's not really a big deal to you because you don't know what it is. So therefore, it probably doesn't matter. But it does. And if you don't know how to use a histogram, you need to check out the Photo Taco episode on the topic by doing a Google search, photo space taco space histogram, which incidentally is a way you can find any Photo Taco episode. Use Google. It's your friend. And just do photo space taco space subject matter, whatever subject it is you're interested in. I've been doing the podcast for a couple of years and there's a really good chance that I already have an episode on the topic that you may be wondering about. Or you can hit up the link in the show notes. 
but I didn't realize how important a live histogram is as I make changes in Lightroom until it wasn't live as I was using Luminar. There is a histogram in Luminar, which is awesome. You, it's an indispensable tool. I use it constantly. And it does update after you've made an adjustment. So you change the slider when you are done changing the slider, then the histogram updates to reflect how it is now that you've moved that slider. But I've really come to depend upon real-time live updates of that histogram to help guide me on how far I want to take an adjustment. I watch the histogram as I'm moving the slider, and because in Lightroom it updates in real time as I am moving the slider, that guides me on where it is I want to take the slider, at what point I want to stop the slider in some of the sliders in Lightroom. And that's just not possible as Luminar in here in February 2017 because it's not live. And that, I just, I didn't like that much. It's kind of a small thing and something that's totally fixable. This is something I think that uh, that MacFun can totally resolve very, very easily. But it's one of the 10 observations that I came out of after using the software. Observation number two, I love the concept of layers in Luminar. I would love to see layers added to Lightroom. I guess you sort of get the same effect of layers in Lightroom in that you can see the cumulative effect of all the adjustments that you're making layered on top of each other as you do your exposure adjustments and then you put on top of that your adjustment brushes and on top of that any uh, maybe presets or you can sort of layer stuff but you don't actually get layers. And you can at least non-destructively go back and change one of the things that you've done, but you don't truly get layers. And I think there's there's just a power in layers. It's a powerful enough thing that I still go into Photoshop a ton from Lightroom just because I want to use some layers to do some things with it. Now, mostly it's because I want to do compositing or I want to do luminosity masking. Those are the reasons, the primary reasons that I'll go into Photoshop, but there's also healing adjustments that work better there and any I, I just masking in general. I want to be able to do that. And so I, I head over into Photoshop and I round trip from Lightroom to Photoshop to do that. If you don't know what it means to round trip to Photoshop from Lightroom, there are two good photo taco episodes on that topic that you can find by asking the Goog photo space taco space round trip Photoshop or hit up the links in the show notes. I'll put links to those two uh, photo tacos there as well. Luminar seems to really be built on the concept of layers right from the beginning, more like how things are done in Photoshop than how they are done in Lightroom. So it's kind of this combination of Photoshop and Lightroom and together in Luminar. Um, not all the functionality, obviously. The use of layers become a really important part of my photography, like I said. And so I, I really found that to be interesting. But what I did, I, I had struggles with, was that the layers just didn't actually make sense to me because they functioned differently than I expected them to. They weren't so intuitive, and it's probably because of my experience with how Photoshop functions. It doesn't work, the layers don't work exactly like they do in Photoshop. Although when you add in masking, which was not readily apparent to me either how that worked, but when you figure out how to use the masking in Luminar, then yeah, you kind of can see how it is that it works more like Photoshop, but it took me a bit to figure it out. I think they, there's still a little bit of work to do there in Luminar on this layers concept, but I love the, the start they have. That's my second observation. I, I love that the software is kind of built from the beginning, from the ground up 
to leverage layers and how layers can help you to edit your photos. It's a really good concept I love. And I'd love to see what Adobe could do to try to add layering technology into Lightroom, see, see the possibilities and the capabilities that that would allow. Um, stealing from Luminar here on that, on that idea. Okay, so that's, that's number two. Observation number three, spot removal. It's called eraser in Luminar, and it's the ability to kind of remove distracting things from your photos. It works, it seems to work pretty well, but I have a couple of issues with it. The first is that it's not done in real time. So unlike my issue with the histogram, I don't really need this to happen like as I'm pressing the mouse button. I, I don't know any software works that way. And frankly, that might be a little weird for some of it. But what I do need is when I release the mouse for it to show me what the spot removal looks like. And that's not how it works in Luminar. Instead, what you do is you're, you're taken to a new workspace. So you're looking at your photo, it has kind of this base layer there, and then there's a tool that you hit on the right-hand side that's the eraser tool, and it takes you into this new workspace, kind of overlays on top of the view that you did have with this new workspace to do eraser. And then you use the mouse, or you could use your graphics tablet, and you paint over the parts of the photo that you want to erase, or you want to do spot removal. And it, uh, it has kind of, I think it was customizable, but by default, it kind of showed red where it was that you painted. And you can change the relative size and hardness of the brush that you're painting that red on the screen with onto the photo. And then, but when you release, it doesn't auto update. It doesn't automatically show you what it is that it was going to do to do the spot removal. You just, you paint every place on the photo where you want eraser to, to do its thing and then you have to hit an apply button. So you, you, I'm trying to describe what you visually see. I had a photo that was a soccer field. And on the soccer field, the wind had blown some trash onto the field. So I had this photo of some kids playing soccer. A boy was heading the ball in a really kind of epic shot. But it was really super distracting to have this trash on the field. It drew the eye away from the action of where the boy was heading the soccer ball. And I wanted to erase those. So I went to the eraser tool. I drew over the pieces of trash and I expected it to work like I've seen in so many other post-processing software programs where as soon as I kind of released after drawing with the eraser tool, it would update and show me what it looks like. And if it didn't quite look right, if the way that it filled in looked a little strange, then I could go over it again and again until I was happy with how the erasing went and it looked totally normal, like the trash was never there. And that's not how this worked. I painted over the top and I waited and I waited and I was like, what am I missing? What do I have to do? Oh, there's an apply button. And so I went up and hit the apply button and it does its thing. It takes a couple seconds thinking about what it's going to do. And then it provides you a new layer in that original view you had with the erased image, the image that where the eraser has happened. And it did a good job. It, it definitely removed the spots. It removed the trash from the field, made the field look completely normal. And that looked good. So it was an effective thing. The end result was effective, but it was just a little strange to not see it done in real time. And then I, if I wanted to go back and edit it, 
you can't go back into the workspace and edit just that layer. The layer's kind of locked. It's kind of done after you've done that apply. So if you want to do further erasing, you need to go back into the eraser tool and do more erasing again and add another eraser layer to the tool. So the again, the layers just didn't really work like I expected them to. And this is an example of where it was. Uh, all right, so that's number three. Observation number four is the denoise tool in Luminar. And I love, love, love the UI, the user experience for doing noise reduction in Luminar. They have something here. This is cool. This is something that Adobe should take a look at <laughs> stealing because this is cool. Okay, so the coolest part about it is really kind of they have this side-by-side -side before and after preview that you can see. So there's this bar that gets shown over the top of the photo. And on the left-hand side is before the noise reduction and on the right-hand side is after the noise reduction. And you can move that bar left or right to be able to kind of see and compare how the noise reduction is being applied. It's really, really cool to be able to do that. It's fairly fast, I like that. What I didn't like was the lack of control I had. So uh, more of a beginner photographer would probably find this helpful because as you're staring at six different sliders in Lightroom to help you with noise reduction, it's hard to understand how to use those sliders. But it also provides a lot of control about how noise reduction is being applied in Lightroom. And so in Luminar, it is easier to use. The user experience is fantastic but you don't have as much control. You have kind of two levels of control. You can pick among many levels of noise reduction kind of presets that it offers. And so you can decide on like some really high noise reduction or very small amount of noise reduction. They have many levels in between that are kind of preset things for you. And then when you decide on one of those, if you decide that's just a little too much, you have a strength slider that you can apply to that noise reduction preset as well. So, well, I, I just found it, I couldn't quite achieve the contrast or the, the same look as I got out of Lightroom. I felt like I could accomplish a better noise reduction result in Lightroom than I could in Luminar. But boy, is that user experience in Luminar really fantastic. And uh, I, I just really loved how that is presented. More guided for a photographer who doesn't know how to do noise reduction but still pretty effective in how you can apply noise reduction to a photo. Okay, observation number five is filters. And it's a, it's a little bit different concept of anything I've ever seen actually, <laughs> in the way that I came to understand and, and use them in Luminar. Kind of a mix between what the panels are in Lightroom and what you think of in filters with something like Instagram, the mobile app. It's kind of this merge of those two things. Um, Comparing them to Lightroom, the, the best way to compare it is like the panels in Lightroom. In the develop module in Lightroom, you've got the basic panel, you've got the HSL panel, you've got the detail panel. There's, there's various panels there that each have sliders within them to make adjustments to your photos. And that's what filters are sort of like. And by default, you get this layer in Luminar and you have some default filters already applied to them. There's the color temperature filter, which is where you can change white balance. There's the tone filter, where you can change exposure, contrast, highlights, shadows, blacks, and whites. 
There's a saturation and vibrance filter, etc. There's there's way more of these filters than there are panels in Lightroom. So there's a ton of things that that the MacFun has built into these filters to try to achieve different looks. And then you can go search and you can add filters as many as you want to a single layer and make adjustments through them. And so this is an advantage where Luminar has where you change the sliders the image updates very quickly. So that's that's one of the differences here. In the in Lightroom, some of those sliders, as you go to change them, it doesn't give you immediate feedback, especially if you've got a little bit older computer. It can really struggle as you change those sliders. The performance is noticeable as you go to change them, and it can make it hard to change a slider because you don't get the instant feedback. You don't see what the effect is as you're changing the slider in Lightroom on some of them. Now, it mostly worked for me and my custom-built Windows PC, but I've seen it definitely on a lot of machines where that is far from instantaneous. And with MacFun, now I've only done it, run it on my one Mac, my 2015 MacBook Pro to tell you, but it was seemed buttery smooth. <laughs> the sliders, when you change them, it, it just changed the photo. It, it was really very, very smooth. Much different in comparison to what I've seen um, a lot of people have in Lightroom. It's pretty similar, again, from my experience in Windows with my custom-built PC, but uh, I've, I've definitely seen Lightroom struggle way more as you're changing those sliders in Lightroom than what I have experienced with Luminar. So there you go. That's number five, filters, kind of like panels in Lightroom, giving you sliders to make adjustments to your photo. Observation number six is presets. Now, very similar to how you can have presets that auto set the sliders in the various panels in Lightroom, you can have presets that have those sliders in the filters kind of preset to specific values on your image. Also like Lightroom, you can show a presets panel in Luminar that shows you what the image you're working on will look like if you apply that preset or that filter. It's not a filter, it's a preset. It's, um, I'm sure I'm confusing you all, <laughs> but there's this, what you do is you click this button in light in Luminar and it will show towards the bottom, almost that same film strip view that you're very used to seeing in Lightroom if you've used Lightroom. But instead of the, the film strip being multiple different images in your catalog, it shows you a film strip of the different presets that you can apply to the, the photo. And so you can see in real time, it's super fast. You can see what the effect of that particular preset will be on your photo. And it's right down there at the bottom. It's kind of a nice view, a nice user experience. Again, they've done a good job of, of on the UI, helping you to find what it is that you want to get. It's really intuitive in this regard in finding this. But what's the, the couple of challenges that I found with the presets? Number one was you can only apply one. So you can't stack them. You can't have multiples of them picked. You can pick one, but in, unlike Lightroom, where after you've picked a preset, you can sort of change the effect of that preset because all the preset does is really change the sliders for you in the panels in the develop module. It changes all those sliders for you and you can go further adjust them from there. You can tune it a little bit. If the effect is a little too much of one slider, you can you can change that one slider and get to more of the effect you wanted. With these presets in Luminar, you pick on the preset, you can't change the individual filters that may have made up that preset, 
but you can change the overall strength of how much that preset is being applied. So you can kind of, it starts at 100% and you can back that off. If it's too strong of an effect, then you can back it off. You just can't change the individual adjustments that may have made up that preset. You'll only get to change kind of the overall effect of the preset and how much it can be applied. So a little different thing. I love the user experience. I don't really like the lack of control, but that's because I like that in Lightroom and, and I'm used to that more of an advanced feature in Lightroom for this than, than in Luminar. So that's number six, observation number six, presets. Observation number seven, the preview button and before slash after slider. We talked a little bit about that before and after slider as I talked about the denoise tool and how you get that in that workspace you get a similar kind of function in the base layer. I'm not, I don't know the official terms to call the stuff in the software yet, but the, the kind of initial default view you have of the photo, you get a button at the top that's this before and after slider. And it does the same thing that it does in the denoise tool. It puts the bar down the photo, and then on the left-hand side is the before any of your edits, and on the right-hand side is the after all of your edits, or the edits on the layer that you have selected. And then you can move that bar back and forth, left and right, and see exactly before and after. It's beautiful. I loved having that capability. That is something that was really super powerful. And I love it over anything I've seen out of Lightroom for before and after. They also have a preview button for before and after, where when you click, it's this little eye icon at the top of the screen. And when you click on it, it instantaneously shows you the entire photo before you did any adjustments. And as long as you hold it down, it stays that way. And as soon as you release the mouse button off of the eye, it shows you the after or wherever view you're on the layer you're on. And the speed of it is what's really amazing and super impressive. Nothing like that in Lightroom, even though there's the, the slash key that you can do to do a before and after view. Um, it's not nearly as fast in Lightroom as it is in Luminar. It was super, super fast. So that's pretty cool. I liked the way that that, that worked and, and was implemented. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat thing in Luminar. So that's the preview button and before and after slider, observation number seven. Okay, observation number eight is probably the very biggest observation that I have about Luminar. Saving your edits. You can save all of the edits that you've made to a photo out to a file it's called a .lmnr, Luminar, .lmnr file. But with a couple of layers in each one, they averaged about 150 megabytes per edited photo. So I put, I, I did this with a couple hundred photos. I processed the photos in Lightroom and then I processed the photos in Luminar, trying to make them as close to the same as I could, see if I could accomplish the same result. And in most cases, yeah, I could get a very similar result out of Luminar that I, as I got in Lightroom. It took me more time because I'm not as familiar with Luminar, but I could get there. I could get a very similar result out of the two things. But uh, so I, I did this for a couple hundred photos and on average, 150 megabytes per edited photo in that .lmnr file, which is the only way to save your edits today in Luminar and the product I have. And that's surprisingly large for a file to keep that. And it isn't like it's a TIFF file that has all the edits in there can be read by other people. It's a it's its own kind of proprietary file. That's only something Luminar can use. And so as I record this episode, 
I have 68,663 photos in my Lightroom catalog and growing strong. And the size of the metadata that's tracking all of those photos, all 68, almost 69,000 photos, and all of the edits and adjustments I have totaled up to three gigabytes in size, which is not small. That's still very, very large, but it's tracking 69,000 photos and a lot of adjustments that I've done over years and years of work. If I was to do that in with Luminar files for every one of those photos in my catalog, it would take up nearly 10 terabytes of disk space. Terabytes. Now, I, I, if you don't know what the difference is between those things, the terabytes versus gigabytes versus megabytes, it's about 3,000 times more disk space. Now, that's a thought. That's a lot of disk space to give up trying to save your edits in, in Luminar. And it's far from fair in comparison, though, because, you know, of those 69,000 photos, a very lowly 4% rate of those photos are what I actually rated worth being edited. So there's a ton. There's 96% of those photos I won't even touch because they're not worth editing. They're photos that, uh, you know, a huge portion of them were photos when I first got started in photography that just weren't very good. But even in the shoots I'm doing lately, I'll take at a high school basketball game, a couple, you know, a thousand photos, and then I'll only pick, you know, 10% or less that are worth doing edits on. And so, you know, you have this hit rate of photos that you actually want to edit that is much lower than all the photos that you might have in your catalog. You might want to keep all of them for various reasons. So you, you might have technology that changes over time and make it so that you want to go revisit a photo, or you may decide you want to use um, a photo you didn't pick on its own, but you kind of like maybe the sky out of it or a specific mountain in it or whatever it might be for compositing. You, there's good reasons to keep those photos around, even if they weren't ones that you edited uh, so that you can use them in, in later photography kinds of things. But I wanted to say, well, okay, that's not really fair to say you need to compare it to all 69,000 photos having a Luminar file because that's not reality. I wouldn't do that. If I was using Luminar full time for everything I was doing, I would call the photos out using something else. Luminar is not the tool for that. Maybe a photo mechanic or something like that. And then I would get down to the few photos that I actually wanted to edit and then you make a Luminar file for each one of those. So if I do the math on that instead of the 3,000 photos, it would be, and, and I, it's about the 4% hit rate, I would have probably something more along the lines of about 440 gigabytes of Luminar files compared to the 3 gigabytes that Lightroom uses in the cataloging. So that's about 150 times more disk space for Luminar files to save your edits than Lightroom to save your edits. And that's a big deal. Disk space is a big concern, not because it's super expensive, because as you grow over time, it becomes a problem where you might need to have multiple hard drives and managing the photos over them and backing up. And it can be a massive thing. It can be a huge thing. In fact, I think it's a wall that photographers hit. I've described that on other Photo Taco episodes, that you run into a storage wall. That first time that you fill up your hard drive and Lightroom tells you you can't do anything more because you don't have any more room, 
that causes a panic in photographers because a lot of them don't know how to deal with that. And I've gone through uh, photo taco episodes on that topic. And I've even written articles at improvephotography.com that talk about the uh, storage workflow that you can use to battle this, this whole problem. But this would become a massive, massive problem, I think. And it's something that I think is a, is probably the very biggest concern I have with Luminar. It needs cataloging so badly, and it needs a much more efficient way to store these edits than is, is done through these individual Luminar files today. So that's, I think it's a big challenge that Luminar's got. Saving your edits is kind of a, a big deal. Observation number 10 is pricing, and it's the timing of this episode is a little bit unfortunate <laughs> because I believe it's going to work out that the day I release this episode is also going to be the day after a promotion, some promotional pricing is available from MacFun on Luminar. Uh, I think it's going to end the day before this where it was available for just $69, which is half off. The regular price is $140. Actually, it's a bit of a rata here. I have to break into this episode because I was wrong when I looked up the pricing on the website. They did have some promotional pricing on a combination bundle of the product where for $69, you got not only the product, but also some extras in presets of video training. And that was what was going to normally be $140 uh, without the promotional pricing. They had it on sale for $69 for all of that which is actually the full regular price is $69 for the software. So I needed to correct that in this episode. And if you so, I, I hope that those who maybe heard the episode before the correction get that information. $69, a tremendous value for this software tool then. Uh, that's just $69. And if you own MacFunds, anything else from MacFun, you can get it at just $59. So very exciting there. And just had to make sure I corrected that in this episode. And uh, that's even at $140, that's a pretty decent price for the functionality you get in Lightroom. The tool is really helpful. The tool is very, very well built. It's a, it, you can accomplish a lot of photo editing in Luminar. It's a very solid tool. I just don't think it compares fully to Lightroom today. I'm really excited to see where, where MacFun takes it and how it changes over time. I've heard they want to add the cataloging capabilities that would take one of my biggest complaints in the way that you store edits and deal with that. Uh, I hope they're going to work a little bit more on the layering features because I just don't think it quite works the way that it should and didn't quite make sense to me and how that works. So I, I hope that they're going to continue working on that a little bit. Um, it's, it's compelling software and even at $140, that's worth the price of $140 for sure. I love the different take that they're taking, they're, they're doing on post-processing. They're thinking about this differently than other people are. And I, I love that. I like that they're innovating there. It's kind of fun to use it that way. And $140 even it's, it's worth it. You can, I believe they offer a free trial so you can go download that and try it out if you just want to take a peek. And, I, and I'd encourage you to do that. Go take a peek, if even if you don't intend to use it, just to see how they're thinking differently about post-processing. It might make something click in your head about how you could do something different even in Lightroom if you're using Lightroom today. It's really cool software, and I, I think that that's great. But if I had to nail down a recommendation today, and I do because I'm doing this podcast episode, Luminar's not the way I'd suggest anyone go today. 
Um, checking it out, certainly. And maybe you will like it better than you like Lightroom, especially if you're running some older hardware. If you're running a 2012 MacBook or a 2009 MacBook or something like that, Mac or sorry, Luminar may run quite a bit better than Lightroom does on your system. And you may want to try it out to see and then pay the 140 bucks to get it if it's true, because you'll get uh, you'll be much happier with your editing experience. I just think, though, if someone's starting out right now, that's not going to be my recommendation. There's not nearly as much training and help out there for the software. And you can still just do quite a bit more in Lightroom. The cataloging features are significant. And Luminar just doesn't have that today. So I would suggest Loom, or sorry, Lightroom if you are starting out because, because of that. Now, I don't know that I would suggest the standalone version of Lightroom, which is still available here in February 2017, but I don't know how much longer it will be. You can get it for $150, so it's 10 bucks more than Luminar. But you get so much more capability in Lightroom with the cataloging features in particular that that's what I would recommend. And maybe I'd recommend if you're just starting out that that's what you do. You buy the standalone version today and you learn Lightroom. Learn it inside and out. Get proficient with it. Figure out how to organize your photos. Figure out how to use cataloging features. Figure out how to do editing. Learn it inside and out. And then you will probably arrive at a point where you need to do something more than Lightroom provides. And that's when you need Photoshop. And that's maybe the point when you start doing Adobe Creative Cloud subscription for photographers. That's only $10 a month, but it's a subscription. So even though that would be $120 in your first year compared to say $150 in your first year um, with the standalone version of Lightroom, uh, it's a subscription. So that means you're going to pay $120 for it next year too. And when you need Photoshop, that's a very good value. It's a huge value. When you've taken your Lightroom skills to the point where you need to go into Photoshop to accomplish a particular edit, then that's a, a really reasonable and nice price to be able to get access to Photoshop with $10 a month. And that's kind of what my current recommendation is then. If you're just starting out, go buy the standalone version of Lightroom and master it. Take a year and master Lightroom. Learn how to use it really, really well. And maybe a year won't be long enough, but then don't, but don't start paying for the Creative Cloud subscription yet until you have mastered Lightroom in that standalone version. Then go, once you, once you get to the point where, all right, I now need to do an edit in Photoshop. This is something that I need to do. Then go start paying that Creative Cloud subscription and get access to Photoshop. And, but don't be, don't be afraid to go check out Luminar. I really love where they're headed with it. It's, it's really fun software to use. They're thinking about things differently. Check out the free trial, if nothing else, just to give it a try and see what it is I'm talking about with the differences in how they're thinking about things and the user experience, how they are approaching the workflow itself just very differently. It's worth checking it out just to see what they're doing there. And if they add the cataloging features and if they work on some of the layering, my recommendation may change at some point as more people use it, as there's more training available, as there's more help available, it, I, it really could become super compelling software. I'm really excited to keep an eye on it and watch what they're doing over there. It's an exciting company. I can't wait to see what more they do with it. So that's uh, my 10th observation is pricing. And my final recommendation is I still think Lightroom is probably the tool that will work best for most photographers 
over Luminar. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco through Instagram by messaging at photo taco podcast or through email where the address is photo taco podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Ask me questions. No question is too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer and I often don't, then I either research it like crazy and do a ton of prep time into doing a podcast episode, or I bring on an expert guest to go on through it on the show. Also, don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. And today, I wanted to kind of prep you for a brand new one that's coming out in early March 2017. It's going to be called Latitude, and it's going to be a podcast focused on travel photography. Our good friends Brett Bergham and Brian McGuckin are going to co-host that podcast, and they're going to talk everything travel photography. Both of them are avid travel photographers, and they're going to go through the scouting to the uh, travel plans to the packing to the shooting and coming back all safely and with uh, getting the most fun out of it. So you're going to want to check that out. Latitude coming, I think, in early March 2017. So look out for that podcast coming soon. Also, make sure to head over to the mothership, improvephotography.com that makes all of these podcasts possible. If you like Photo Taco, if you like the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network, then to keep them going, you need to make sure you're visiting improvephotography.com every day. And you're going to get more out of it anyway because there's lots of news, gear, and other photo tip articles constantly being written and posted over there at improvephotography.com. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo Taco! Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission reserved. Olay!